Welcome back to True Crime Trine, the podcast where the planets align and three friends talk about true crime, astrology, and any other weird bullshit we can fit into this podcast. I'm your host, Hannah, along with Sarah and Meredith. Welcome to our fifth episode. We're doing it, guys. Yeah. We're recording this two days after our first three episodes went live on almost all podcast apps at this point. And so it's been a real fun, nice two days, like getting a lot of feedback from people. Mm -hmm. We really appreciate it. It also makes us feel really good. And we would do this podcast anyway if we were just yelling into the void. But it's nice to know that other people are listening to it and enjoying it as well. Just a quick shout out to Ilea, Carrie, Crystal, and Kalina for some fun topics that we might tackle in the future. Yes, thank you. Especially Ilea. I'm like doing yours like really soon. (laughs) (laughs) I can't wait for that one. That one sounds like a lot of fun. It's gonna be good. Also, today is Cinco de Mayo, and I've already preloaded this episode with some tequila and some Pacifico, so (laughs) it might might be fun. And I'm drinking a beer for the first time in a week and a half. I'm drinking alcohol for the first time in a week and a half, and we're gonna hear a (laughs) banger of a story, so we'll see how plastered I get by the end. I have got something special for you guys. So, we are recording this prior to Mother's Day, but you are actually going to to hear this after Mother's Day. So with respect to Mother's Day, the story that I have for you today is about Leonardo Cianciuelli, otherwise known as the soap maker of Correggio. The crimes she committed are completely egregious. I mean, really, really bad. But ultimately, they were committed as an act of love for her eldest son, Giuseppe. I'm so excited. Honestly, she is crazier than a shithouse rat, but... (laughs) I love it. To be fair, most moms are, and there's a reason for that. As I said before, like, most parents care about their young. I think they say it in a much, like, more obsessive way about their their offspring. <laughs> Leonardo takes it to the next level, for sure. Actually, I think what we will find, too, is that we're going to talk about moms a lot on this podcast because a lot of serial killers have had some very interesting mothers. Yeah, they're really important for shaping the that tender little psyche. <laughs> yeah. What I really like about this case is that you hear about a lot of crimes that are committed by moms and it's usually crimes against children, right? So this is kind of the flip scenario of it. She did it out of love for her child. So it wasn't anything against her children, which I can respect that. Crimes for children? I guess. That sounds (laughs) awful. Here's a crime for you. (laughs) So as a small disclaimer, this is an older case. There are some inconsistencies and conflicting information, but I am fairly certain that I have sussed out some more of the accurate pieces, at least 65% sure, anyway. More than 50. Yeah, just a little bit more than 50. (laughs) A D. (laughs) If we were in school, but let's do this. We're still passing with the D, right? I think C's get degrees, but uh... C's get degrees? C's get (laughs) degrees, that's what I heard the whole time I was in college. That's awesome. 
I got A's, obviously, but... <laughs> Duh, Capricorn. Clearly, your research skills are on point. A Capricorn can't really half-ass anything. Fair enough. Jack of one trade. <laughs> I like that. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so, Leonardo was born April 18th of 1893. Woof! Wow. Yay! I love old cases. She's an Aries. Ooh. You will see some definite Aries energy. She sounds like a mama bear, which I feel like is could be very Aries. Yes. It is very, very Aries. <laughs> so I want to start by talking about Leonardo's mother to help give you some additional insights into this case. Amelia Dinolfi was born into an upper class family. She lived a very comfortable and privileged life. Bougie. When Amelia had come of age, her parents began to look for suitors from other upper class families in the area. This is the late 1890s and arranged marriages were still a thing. Mm. Yay! Amelia basically had her future planned out for her. She was going to get married, have children, and be able to maintain this very comfortable life that she was accustomed to. However, Amelia was sexually assaulted Ooh. by an older man named Mariano Cianciuelli. Mm-hmm. Mariano was said to be like the town drunk, if you will. Every town needs one. I know. Hello. <laughs> he didn't have a job and he really had no intention of pursuing anything to better himself. And I couldn't find their exact ages, but it looks like Amelia was somewhere between 16 and 19, and then Mariano was upwards of 40 years old when the assault occurred. Thought he was going to be old. Mm. Yeah, it's gross. Yikes. Yeah, double yikes. Yeah. Amelia did not report the assault to her family or to police because she was embarrassed and honestly really ashamed of what had happened to her. Because it was the 1890s. Exactly. Getting that getting that hot, rich husband. Right? Because now she's damaged goods. I was just going to say, yeah. So, yeah, you're absolutely correct. The assault could damage her chances of finding a husband and procuring that beautiful life she had envisioned. So, a few months after the assault... One of the housemates had noticed that oh, Amelia no. had not had her period and notified her mother. Oh, no. Ah, what a narc. I mean, it was going to come out eventually, but what a narc. Right? So this is when Amelia finally broke down and she told her mother and father what had happened. So what would you do if you heard this news? Uh, beat the shit out of the town drunk. Give her some, uh, what is it, St. John's wort? Give her a real, a real strong tea. So if it was me, they would have never found Mariano's body. I'll just say that. Uh-uh. And I don't think anyone would miss him. He sounds like nothing. Yeah. Also, what is it? The Bridgerton where she kind of has, I don't know if anybody's seen this, but it seems like if it's an option, a viable option where the family could force a marriage faster through like societal norm rather than have it be a big scandal that she's pregnant outside of wedlock but it doesn't seem like that's even an option with a drunk who has no money to his name or you if you had known earlier maybe you could try to force a wedding super fast and then just said it was that guy's baby oh yeah but well you guys are certainly on the right track <laughs> we could be in the 1890s because 
As it turns out, Amelia's parents were more concerned about how this scandal could ruin their name in the community. I see why she didn't tell them. <laughs> right? Having an unwed daughter who was pregnant, that would really just make them the pariahs in the community. Oh, this makes me mad. So they forced Amelia to marry Mariano in a very private ceremony, and then they gave her the boot. Jesus fucking no. Christ. Mamma mia. This is in Italy, right? It is in Italy. She was basically excommunicated from the family. They were like, peace be with you, I guess. I don't know. Oh. And you're not going to be surprised or you shouldn't be surprised to learn that Mariano was an extremely abusive husband. I mean, he already was a sexual assaulter, so yeah, no surprise. Right? <sighs> so let's fast forward a few months. Leonardo was born on April 18th of 1893 in Montella, Italy to Mariano Cianciuelli and Amelia Donolfi. And just as another side note, I don't speak Italian, so if I butcher any of these words, I apologize sincerely, but I'm trying. I have them written out phonetically in my notes, so hopefully I can pass muster um, in some regard. It can't be as bad as the line in German of the Ramstein song I tried, tried to say, so. I think you <laughs> nailed that one pretty good, yeah, though. yeah. <laughs> Gotta step above that bar. <laughs> I mean, if we played back the sound of the Ramstein song behind it as you said it out, it would probably sound way better. Well, no, <laughs> if I had said it like Ramstein said it, it would have sounded yeah. a lot better. I was trying to say it conversationally. I see, yes. Which is pretty hard to say. Mm hmm. It never comes up in conversation. <laughs> so. Moving forward, little Leonardo was born, and this part really just hurts my heart as a mom. So instead of being a warm and caring mother to Leonardo, Amelia was very neglectful and abusive. To Amelia, Leonardo kind of represented everything that was wrong in her life and everything mm -hmm. that had been taken away from her and everything, all of the worst things that happened to her and she can't really take that out of mariano as much like she's kind of helpless in that situation but she can turn her frustrations onto someone that can't like defend themselves exactly so when leonardo was around three years old mariano died thank god goodbye <laughs> <laughs> and amelia quickly remarried i read somewhere that she married a man from kind of the middle class. So she's, you know, kind of upping her class with this next marriage. Yeah, that's an upgrade. This is the 1890s. So classes were still very much a thing. So to be able to kind of move up into not even to the upper echelon where she had been born, but just kind of slowly making strides to to get back up there. So Get a sidetrack real fast, but an interesting story could have been Amelia marrying at little increments up the class ladder and killing the husband and then going up another step on the ladder, killing that <laughs> husband and going up the ladder again and finally getting back to wherever she wanted to be. That would make a good movie. Yeah. I'd watch it. <laughs> so I did try to do a little research on Leonardo's stepfather, but it didn't, I didn't really come up with much. It just kind of talked about how he really just didn't even bother with Leonardo. And at this point, neither did her mother. 
Mm. She's only three. So most of the time, they left Leonardo to fend for herself. Oh my gosh. As young as four years old. Oh my gosh. Okay, sounds like a feral child situation. Almost. I can't grasp, like, looking at a four-year-old and being like, oh yeah, you'll be fine. I'm just gonna run to the liquor store or, or whatever. Yeah, literally anything. It's bad. Yeah. When Amelia was home, though, she was emotionally, physically, and verbally abusive to Leonardo. So I'm guessing Leonardo was like, peace, bitch. Yeah, I like it when you're not here, actually. (laughs) I'll take care of myself. And Amelia was so, so abusive to Leonardo that she did attempt suicide twice. Fortunately, or unfortunately, depending on where we get later on (laughs) in this episode, She was not successful in her attempts of suicide. When Leonardo came of age, Amelia started to look for suitors. Sound familiar? Suitors! Hot guys in your area. Marry a rich Mm -hmm. man so you can take care of me in my old age. Like I took care of you as a child, bitch. Kind of. So she was not only looking for someone that would provide this good life for her daughter, like a traditional mom would do, or... Uh, emotionally supportive mom would do. She was also looking for this suitor to be someone who could take care of her yep. and her husband yep. as well. That sounds like her first priority. Yeah. Leonardo, 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 wow. Fuck Leonardo. Me. Fuck me, fuck that. Uh, Leonardo, nope. I'm not. <laughs> nope. Goodbye. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> Leonardo. <laughs> I picked to go with Leonardo more than Chanchuelli. Oh, yeah, 100%. But I didn't know I was going to have so much trouble with Leonardo. Oh, was that right? Yes. Yeah, it was. Yay. Anyway, now I've lost everything. Let's continue on. Okay. So my question was, can you be a gold digger on behalf of someone else? I don't really know how gold digging works. I've actually, okay, this might be, this might have been an episode of, like, Law and Order SVU or Criminal Minds, so maybe this doesn't actually happen, but it was, like, a a mom-daughter team, basically, Ooh. to tag team the rich men and then murder them, I think, so. Uh, it was a Law and Order and okay. SVU. Yeah, okay, yeah. I was like, this isn't a real story, but, like. Her mom actually was, like, a freaking monster, and she ended up, like, getting pregnant by people and was, like, trying to work with sperm banks basically and like entrapping rich men oh yeah it was that one Mm -hmm. okay yeah so kind of maybe i think amelia is a gold digger yes for herself she doesn't care about yeah i'm just gonna call her leo she doesn't care about leo whatever would benefit her or give her something out of out of this and and the sad part for me i guess is had her circumstances been a little bit different maybe she would not have been this type of person Right. Had she been able to just find a husband and have that life that she was set to have, I don't know that any of this would, you know, would have happened because she probably would have been a very caring and loving mother, maybe a little neglectful. She probably still would have been snooty as fuck, though, just wouldn't have been as needy about it. Right. And if she had been able to maintain that lifestyle in that upper echelon of society, then she would have had assistance in her household to help her with her mothering duties and things like that. But we will never know. So to move forward, at the same time that Amelia was looking for suitors, 
Leonardo had met and fallen in love with a well-respected, albeit older gentleman named Raffaele Pansardi. Aww. Is this cute? I don't know whether it's going to be cute or not. (laughs) It actually is. So when Raphael proposed, Leonardo joyously accepted. Not only did it mean that she could finally be free of her hellish life absolutely but also that she could start her own family and that's what she really really wanted and from everything that i read raffaele was a a really stand-up guy so this is really positive for her that's good because like back in the day like for women i feel like if you're in a bad situation with your family to get out of it you marry but that's a clusterfuck 50-50 chance too so it's nice that she got somebody that actually might care about her a little bit yeah and everything that I read or that I could find about him just really reiterated that he was a really decent guy so I mean I was very happy to read that she had this in her life after having such a horrible upbringing it also kind of suggests that even with that horrible upbringing she still had a pleasant enough personality to attract someone who had like goodness unless she was manipulating him nope okay she truly was in love with him which is very sweet there's some really sweet and some very fucking (laughs) twisted parts to this story but this is one of the sweet ones this is this is nice exactly so after Raphael had proposed and leonardo had accepted she needed to then tell her family so this is where the story starts to get a little bizarre. Cool. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> You're welcome. So when Leonardo told Amelia about her engagement, Amelia was not pleased. So much so that she said to Leonardo, if you marry this man, I will not support it. You will have a miserable life. Until the day you die. I mean, why would I fucking care if you support me, mother? You never have before. Bye, leaving you behind. (laughs) It's not a very good threat. From Amelia's point of view, she was basically losing her meal ticket to potentially the next class up. So she was was pretty much pissed. So Raphael wasn't from upper echelons. He was just there. He was a middle, kind of like middle class clerk, if you will. And so just, you know, average pay. He worked really hard. Yeah. Yeah, like you said, respectable. Exactly. I mean, he wasn't a a very wealthy man by any means, but he was a a very nice gentleman and he had a job and, you know, he was respectful to Leonardo. Now, you may have thought that Leonardo might have brushed off this kind of warning, if you will, or this angry comment from her mom, but it sat with her. And it continued to weigh on her and consume her thoughts. Because Amelia had basically cursed her, right? Oh, yeah. And that was like a big deal back then too, right? Exactly. So despite her mother's forewarning of demise, Leonardo did marry Raffaella in 1917. She was very happy, but her mother's words remained in the back of her subconscious. Shortly after their marriage, a traveling fair came through town, and Leonardo sought out a Romani fortune teller. Okay, I do like the spooky aspects to this, but I don't think the fortune teller is going to be very helpful here. 
Or is she? Or is she? Okay. So this Romani fortune teller or the Romani people will become a pretty big deal in Leonardo's life. And to try to keep it simple, the Romani people are basically nomadic and they are said to travel place to place and town to town and they practice things like folk magic or in some terms people would say witchcraft. Yay! Awesome. Rad as fuck. Witchy woo-woo stuff for you, Hannah. Thank you. And then, I don't know if you guys have ever watched the show, but there is a show called Grimm. Mm -mm. No, I've never heard of it. It was a television show. It's several years old. I think it's available on Netflix right now. But it is a really interesting take on the fairy tales by the Brothers Grimm. Oh. And there's a lot of folklore and kind of witchy stuff in there. The Romani people remind me of you know, a set of characters that they had where a witch had basically lost her powers. And so she traveled over to somewhere over in Eastern Europe to visit with the Romani people and become a witch again. Huh. Oh, that's cool. That sounds really neat. So she travels over to Eastern Europe to meet the queen of the Romani people. And the actress that portrays this Romani queen is the same actress who plays Christian Avasalara in The Expanse. So there's a little fun for, like, two of our listeners. (laughs) Yes, The Expanse. (laughs) Yeah. So, anywho, I'll get back to it. Leonardo had this fortune teller read her palms. The fortune teller told her that she would live a very long life. And it would be full of sadness because she would outlive all of her children. Oh, that is not good for a, a parent to hear. It was devastating to Leonardo because all she wanted was a family and the thought of losing a child was unconceivable. This also reinforced the warning from her mother that she would live a life of misery. Hmm. Sadly for Leonardo, the fortune teller, both the fortune teller and her mother had been Mostly right. I I don't want to give her mom I don't want to give her mom the credit, but just wait. Oh god. Leonardo had seventeen pregnancies. Jesus fucking Christ. Wow. She lost three of her children in utero and lost ten more children to disease and sickness. Oh. Fourteen births? Mm-hmm. Oh boy. So she had a remaining four children, but if you can even think for a minute how hard it would be to lose one child and then to lose so many children just really took its toll on her mentally. Understandably. Ten is a lot. So you will not be surprised to learn that because of this, Leonardo became extremely, extremely overprotective of her four remaining children. And their names were Giuseppe, Biagio, Bernardo, and Norma, which I... That was kind of an odd choice. Norma just at the end tacked on. She got tired of all the syllables. 
Right? <laughs> she wants to make it easy for Meredith in the future to tell the story. Right? So she was the most cautious with her eldest and favorite child, which was Giuseppe. And he plays a key role in what's to come. So a little bit more about their life together. In 1921, Leonardo and Raphael and their children moved back to his hometown of Laria. This allowed them to be close to Raphael's family. They could relax and really start to enjoy their life. However, money was tight. Mm-hmm. Leonardo had been working at nights cleaning the local bank. In an attempt to help her family financially, she created a false account in the bank's ledger. And when she tried to withdraw the money, she got caught. Oh, no. In 1927, she was arrested for fraud and spent 18 months incarcerated. Oh, jeez. I will say that's that sounds like more than Wesley Allen Dodd got until he got caught <laughs> finally. Yeah. Fine. Okay. So since they didn't have prisons for women at the time, she was sent to a local nunnery to serve her sentence. <laughs> I got nothing for that one. <laughs> After her release, they decided as a family that it would be best to move. They had yeah. kind of been tainted with this with fraud. Yeah. So to have a fresh start, they moved to Lachedonia. Again, I hope I, I hope I got that right. They had begun to feel at home and really comfortable in this new town. Leonardo began to visit with some Romani people that frequented uh, through the town, and this is kind of where she started to get more familiar with some of their more questionable practices. Hmm. She visited another Romani fortune teller for another palm reading who told Leonardo that on her left hand she saw prison Oops. and on the right hand she saw an asylum. Oh, oh so boy. neither is good. Right? I do really want to get my palm read, but if it comes out prison or asylum, I don't know what I would do with myself. You're like, if I give you 40 more dollars, will this say something else? Yeah, right? <laughs> I don't know how that works. <laughs> my lifeline's got a lot of crosshatches. I'm going to leave that book unread. Right? <laughs> so, however, life was going so well. And to Leonardo, it seemed like maybe her troubles were in the past. So, like, all of her kids weren't dying at this point? Nope. They're healthy. Okay. They're happy children. They have a, a beautiful home. She's got a great marriage. They're in this new place. They've got this fresh start. Clean slate. To her, like, things were good. Then... Things were not good. (laughs) In 1930, a massive, massive earthquake devastated their small town and the surrounding areas. Oh, shit. The life that they had built was wiped from the face of the earth. Again, this reinforced Leonardo's belief that she was cursed. But if you are interested in learning a little bit more about the Romani people and some of their practices, you can Google Stregaria or Stregonaria, and you will find a lot of fun, kind of witchy, folky type of information. There is also a book called Italian Folk Magic, Ruse Kitchen Witchery by Mary Grace Ferran. And there's also a more in-depth story called The Curse by Ryan Green. And these provide a lot more insight into A, the story, and then also into that Italian kind of folk magic. They are both on my to-read list 
but I don't ever have spare time. So (laughs) I might read them, right? Okay, you let me know how how they turn out because I am fascinated by the Romani people and kind of learning a little bit more about some of this very interesting stuff. And for me, it'd be interesting to look, see witchcraft from another perspective besides most of what I read is like druidic, mostly very, very white British Isles type of magic. Okay, so... With nothing left but her precious family, which thankfully all four children and her husband survived this earthquake, they decided that they were going to move again, which obviously they needed to. And they really wanted to find a peaceful place for them. So they settled in Correggio. Life was really, really good. Leonardo was able to set up a small but lucrative business as a soap maker. She became well known in her community for her soaps and also her side business of fortune telling, <laughs> potions, yes, and herbal sachets. I sure. mean that if you have the same uh, you know commodities that you have to purchase and acquire for your soap making, right? It makes sense to be able to have that on top of like, oh, I have some extra of this. I'm going to make a sachet of blah 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 and sell it off for a profit. <laughs> exactly. So she kept researching and studying the Romani culture. And when traveling fairs would come through town, she would trade her soaps for books and kinds of mystical tools of the trade, if you will. Take that, nuns. Right? (laughs) (laughs) All right. What you came for? Soap. The murders. Oh. Here we are. Oh. In 1939, Leonardo learned that her eldest son, Giuseppe, had joined the Italian army in advance of World War II. Now, what is a mother to do? Human sacrifice, right? First first thought of mine, body for a body. Right? To protect Giuseppe from what she believed would be an inevitable death, she decided that she must take a human life in order to save his life. I would say being in the Italian army in World War II wasn't a, a breeze. He might have needed some help, but like, do a spell or something. Well, she did. Without a body. Without a body. Yeah, no blood spilt on this one. And now, again, she did not want to commit murder, but it had to be done. She loved her son that much. What kind of mom would she be if she didn't at least try to protect him? And that's how much she actually believed that that was going to work, too, that she was willing to commit the murder. Exactly. I was thinking, like, yeah, commit the murder and then have that body stand in for your son. Like, oh, my son's dead already. He can't go to war. (laughs) That actually would have made way more sense. That's what I was thinking. Life for a life. I guess Giuseppe joined the army, though. Maybe he wanted to go. I think, too, if you have an overbearing mother, (laughs) because she was extremely protective. Yeah. Be careful. The curse. The curse. Yeah, Giuseppe needed to get out of the house. (laughs) Right. And at this time, he's getting up and, you know, he's in his 20s, maybe even in... I couldn't find a lot of their birthdays and stuff, so, you know, maybe even mid-20s. So he's like, hey, mom, like, back the fuck off. Fair. Mm -hmm. So... Leonardo decided that she was going to scour her books looking for just the right ritual or spell, but that it would need to be absolutely perfect in order to work. And really powerful. Extremely powerful. And this is where it gets gross. Yay! Awesome. Leonardo found what she was looking for, and it consisted of tea cakes and soap. (laughs) Tea cakes is the surprise here, but okay. Right? So Giuseppe would need to consume (gasps) 
the tea cakes in order to protect him internally and then bathe with the soap to protect him externally. Wait, is the soap made from human fat? Guess what? It's people. It's people. To be honest, that does have a little smidge of logic to it, but uh, (laughs) inside and outside, like, I don't know. But again, I think it calls into, you know, her mental health as far as all of the devastating things that had happened to her the immense amount of loss and then, you know, getting immersed in this Romani culture where rituals were a thing. So, you know, she really felt that the tools that she had acquired over her studies of the Romani culture were something that were actually going to be beneficial to the protection of her family. Now, keep in mind, that each of these victims were her customers, and some would even say friends. Oh. Okay. They often sought her as counsel, as did many other people in the community. So she wasn't just your local soap maker. People really trusted Leonarda, and they talked with Leonarda, and she offered advice when they came into her shop. She was pretty popular. Maybe don't take Leo's advice. (laughs) (laughs) So Faustina Setti was victim number one. Faustina was an older unwed woman who was desperately seeking a husband. She had visited Leonardo regularly trying different potions and spells in order to help find a loving partner. But so far, nothing had worked. It occurred to Leonardo that Faustina would be a really good choice because she didn't have any family that would miss her if she was gone. Oh, God damn it. Don't talk about spinsters like that. That's really sad. It is. Leonardo lied to Faustina and told her that she had found an interested suitor for her. And Leonardo said that this man lived far away and that it would be in Faustina's best interest not to tell anyone, as most people wouldn't understand this type of arrangement. It's never in your best interest to not tell anybody if you leave. Never. Well, Faustina was delighted at the mere possibility of finally having someone to share her life with that she readily agreed. This is so sad, because she thinks she's finally getting what she wants. And I assume she's going to get murdered, which is not what she wants. It is not what she wanted. She wanted a man. I get that pee. Oh, okay. Sorry. (laughs) That's a way to put it. (sighs) Leonardo even convinced Faustina to write letters to the few friends that she did have in Correggio, just letting them know that she was so happy with her new life, with her new husband, and that she was not going to be coming back. Okay, we all need to figure out code words that if we write a letter and you see that code word in it, you know it's coerced. Yeah. No, that's a good point. Yeah. Mine will be like, I love dogs. (laughs) (laughs) I only like dogs. (laughs) I don't know. I just said that because I can see my cat in the background right now. But (laughs) Oh, yeah. What is he doing? I think he's, I don't know. Being clumsy. He only has three legs. Yep. He's very cute and distracting. He is very cute and distracting. Otter was tootie today. Oh, no. (laughs) He was sitting on my lap and kept, like, letting little, like, really stinky ones go. And then at one point, he, like, sat up and, like, his nose was twitching in the air. And I was just like, that's you. That's that's definitely you. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, toot, toot, caboose, my friend. Get away. (laughs) Yeah, don't turn that on me, Otter. That was your butt. (laughs) So... On the day that Faustina was set to depart, she came to Leonardo's shop. She was nervous and she was excited. So when Leonardo offered her a glass of wine, 
she gladly accepted. Oof. I mean, I would too. This is how I will get poisoned, is through alcohol. So it should not surprise you that the wine was laced. It does not. No. As soon as Faustina passed out, Leonardo bludgeoned her with an axe. With an axe! Do we know what it was laced with? No, it didn't say. Okay. I would guess it would be some sort of herbal remedy from... Oh, from the Romani, maybe? I was thinking, like, Belladonna, just because that's on my brain right now. But anyways. (laughs) (laughs) Possibly. Well, that's the flower for this episode. So, she bludgeoned her with an axe... And then dismembered her body. Okay. Damn. She still has a husband and a family at this. This sounds very bloody. What does she do with the bloody clothes? Because this is more of a historical case, there wasn't a lot of information readily available. So I had to kind of dig for some of some of the parts to the story. So it didn't. It didn't talk a lot about what had happened per se, but just basically what did happen if that makes sense so unfortunately for leonarda she had not been able to dispatch faustina with the first blow so much of the blood ended up on the floor she then hung pieces of the body to drain the remaining blood and then promptly baked it in the oven i assume she flipped the sign on the front door to like closed while she's doing all of this (laughs) i'm sure it was locked and the blinds were pulled she wanted to cook the blood. So she baked the blood. So instead of bone flour, like in episode one, this is kind of like blood flour. Do you like hide it in a chocolate cake? How do you? Neither one of those are good flours. There's no gluten. She ground it into a powder and then mixed it with the normal baking ingredients to make the tea cakes. Okay, but I've tasted blood and blood tastes very specific. Very iron. Right? Yeah. Like, oh, I used a new cast iron pan to bake it in. (laughs) (laughs) Blood seems harder to hide in a cake than bone flour does. Both sound terrible, but blood seems hard. That was an interesting Mm -hmm. choice. None of this sounds good. But it should not surprise you to learn that the cakes did not turn out very good. Ah, it didn't have the gluten. It couldn't form the whatever it needs to form for cake right they were also a little dry not enough blood she know this because she was eating them (gasps) she had a test taste before she tried giving it to her son to protect him exactly even more protective right oh Mm -hmm. god so with this first step done which was the tea cake we're counting this as as a success well not really but we're gonna get through the process here Okay. So to carry out the second part of the spell, Leonardo needed to make the soap. So she boiled Faustina's body parts with caustic soda, otherwise known as... Why? Mm-hmm. For many, many hours. The caustic soda and the oils from Faustina would eventually create the soap. I'm surprised no one smelled it. True. Didn't really say, like, was her shop in town? Yeah. Was her shop out of town? Maybe the lie masked a lot as well, but, hmm. Yeah. So, when Leonardo checked the soap batter, it was dark and sludgy. Soap batter? <laughs> Just... <sighs> she was furious because this was not going to work. This was no. not going to be that perfect spell that she needed to protect Giuseppe. So she dumped all of the remains into a nearby septic tank and decided that she would need to start all over. You'd think she'd do a practice run with like a goat. 
I know, because what's she going to change in this? She just knows she did it bad, but how do you quote unquote fix it? Yeah. And as a side note, Leonardo had asked Giuseppe to mail the letters that Faustina had written from a neighboring town, which he was going to for some other sort of business. Troop outings. <laughs> his mom did not No, without him, his mom. Though. His mom was very busy cooking him dinner. Right? Leonardo decided that Faustina had not been a good enough sacrifice. So she would need to be even more selective with her next victim. And that brings us to victim number two, Francesca Sovai. I will also say this. I would have gone for a man to replace a man's life, but I don't know. I don't know what the spell was either, you know, that she had found, but she had found like a specific spell. So I don't know if it said one way or another, but all of her victims were female. Which is easier. For a female to dispatch. It could also be, yeah, exactly, that she would have difficulty trying to take down. Not to mention, too... But poison is a woman's weapon, and so... You- How do you lure a man when you're a married woman with... Oh. To your an soap established shop. reputation into your soap shop and spell wares, right? Like with like potions um, and things. Yeah. Like, he's not going in there to buy a sachet. He's definitely and so not. are you going to taint your reputation by luring a man in there and turning the closed sign on your then door? Then you look suspicious AF. Then you look real bad, yeah. Then maybe you're not fortune telling. Maybe you have another side business. Ah, <laughs> like my grandfather had a brothel. Interesting. And a bar, but the brothel was the side business. So back to Francesca. Francesca had been married, but sadly her husband had recently passed away. So while she was tending to her husband's affairs, the school that Francesca had worked for, they hired another teacher. Okay. She's now desperate. Exactly. She was now a widow and was out of work. She and her husband had not had any children, so she didn't really have anybody to turn to. Francesca was running out of the little money that she did have, so when Leonardo told her of this opportunity to work at a very elite private school in Pancenza, and hopefully I got that one right, Francesca was overjoyed. Leonardo told her that she could not tell anyone because this op- this opportunity was at this private school where they valued the privacy of their students and families. It's supposed to be this really upper echelon. So prestigious that no exactly. one else can know about it. But it even exists. Right? Sure, yeah, fine. I don't hmm. like it. Leonardo was also able to convince Francesca, just like Faustina, to write letters to the few friends that she did have, expressing how happy she was at this new school, and again, that she would not be coming back. So Leonardo really had a plan, right? And she really had her bases covered in some regard. There was a lot of premeditation happening. I feel like a part of it might be, too, coming from her childhood, because she had to learn super young how to look out for herself and how to take care of herself, which I think kind of explains the the check fraud a little bit too. Like that's a way to take care of your family or whatnot. This Mm -hmm. is also a way to take care of your family, I guess. It's kind of that you do what you gotta do type attitude. All right. So Francesca stopped by Leonardo's shop on the day that she was set to depart. And she also drank some wine to calm her nerves. This time, Leonardo was more prepared. Mm. And as Francesca drifted off to sleep, Leonardo placed basins around her to catch the blood. Leonardo bludgeoned and dismembered Francesca. Leonardo was very pleased to find that unlike Faustina, 
Francesca had a very nice layer of fat. Yep, that'll render better. Oh. Leonardo was sure this time the spell would work. Again, she baked the blood and ground it into powder and made tea cakes. Try something else. That just sounds like such a bad thing to do with it. Make it into gravy. Oh. Put it on a tea cake meatloaf. Tea cake meatloaf. <laughs> That's the food pairing. <laughs> That's great. So this time, the cakes turned out a little bit better than they had the time before. Hmm, fine. Maybe she used more sugar. I was just going to say sugar. Sugar and butter. Butter, <laughs> something to keep it moist. It'll it'll hide it. <laughs> but they did have a metallic taste, which is not shocking. No, what? Where? Leonardo then set out to make the soap, but again was disappointed when the soap batter was dark and sludgy. I can't get over soap batter for some reason. I know. <laughs> I just want to make pancakes. These are not No, I, not with this batter. So this was not going to work at all. Convinced that she had missed something, she went back to her books to study and really figure out how to make this ritual, this spell, successful. Again, Leonardo did asked Giuseppe to mail the letters that Francesca had written from the neighboring town. And now, as Leonardo was studying in her book, she had an epiphany. It occurred to her that there was not equivalent exchange in the spell. So meaning that the sacrifice had to be equal or greater to what she would be getting in return. So the next victim really needed to hurt her emotionally. <gasps> she needed to feel the loss. She needed to grieve for this person. Oh, no. Okay. That's not where my mind would have gone, but okay. Well, we all can say that Leonardo was probably not in her right mind. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> where is her mind? So now we're moving on to victim number three. Virginia Chachapo. Virginia was not only Leonardo's very good friend, she was also adored in the community. Virginia was kind of a celebrity. She had retired from a career as a famous soprano opera singer. She had been very successful in her life and was really just a wonderful person. Everyone liked her. Leonardo believed that Virginia would be the perfect sacrifice. She would need to be very cautious, though, because Virginia lived with her brother and sister-in-law. People in the community would take notice if Virginia had gone missing. As luck would have it, though, Virginia expressed to Leonardo that she wanted to travel and reestablish herself back into the spotlight. She wasn't dead yet and still had so Not much yet. life to live. Oh. Poor Leonardo thing. took this as a sign. She told Virginia that she knew this philanthropist type gentleman who was looking for someone to be the face of his company as he was kind of a recluse and just a very private person. She said that he was looking for someone to tend to the social aspects like attending parties and functions on his behalf. Virginia was really interested but a little wary. Remember Virginia was more sophisticated than the other victims. There's also a world war brewing. That's true. 
I didn't delve into any any of that. Oh, you don't have the basis of when how World War II got started? No, not in this episode. Not Capricorn enough. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we have you for. We have your Capricorn ah, energy. Done. You will get it. <laughs> I am also a mom. <laughs> And I work full time. <laughs> and you do the hardest part editing this, so. And I yeah. edit a lot of audio, so there's that. But I feel like there's a lot of interesting content in here. I didn't dive into the World War II. Fair. How much time has lapsed between victim one and this final? It didn't say. It just sounded like, I don't know, maybe a month or two. Oh my gosh. It was fairly fast paced and because Giuseppe was due to leave to go report That's what I was, yeah, I was thinking about that. Active duty. So it wasn't, you know, it was a very short period of time. And the window was closing. She's getting more desperate. Exactly. So remember, you know, Virginia was more sophisticated than the others and Leonardo had to put on a show. So she kept baiting Virginia with little tidbits here and there, but remained very secretive. So she would say, oh, I can't tell you this, but he owns a famous stage or a part owner in this famous stage. And then Virginia would be like, tell me more about it. I want to know more about it. So she was playing that kind of tug of war with some information. And again, all of this shit is made up. She made up all of these fucking stories so she could really tell Virginia anything and it, it didn't matter because none of this was true. Ultimately, Virginia agreed to leave Correggio without even knowing where she was headed. Just like the previous victims, Virginia had come to the shop on the day she was set to leave on this grand adventure. Virginia, however, did not initially accept the wine that Leonardo offered. She wanted to remain level-headed prior to meeting her new boss. She oh, sounds no. very smart, right? She wanted to make a good first impression. She was really, mm-hmm. really excited about this opportunity. However, Leonardo was very persuasive, and she told Virginia that it would be so many hours before you even get there. What is the harm in having one last glass of wine with your dear friend? Last. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one last. <laughs> yeah. Emphasis on the last. Uh, what's her name? Is like, why are you saying last so emphatically? <laughs> right? <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> this is weird. <laughs> and just like before, Leonardo bludgeoned and dismembered Virginia. This time, she made the tea cakes from Virginia's blood, and they were delicious. Huh. I'm not going to believe that one that much, but okay. Mastered her craft. According to Leonardo, and this is a quote from some trial information, quote, the cakes too were better. That woman was really sweet, end quote. Oh, God. And this time, Leonardo added some of Virginia's very expensive perfume to the soap batter, and this time the soap turned out beautifully. Okay, these are all great signs for Leo. Yeah, it's like the world saying you're doing the right thing. We just needed somebody more valuable. Right, but because these things are working out, it's just playing more into, it's playing more into the illusion that this spell, it's working. This is good. It's a lot of positive feedback. So, and I did read somewhere that when Giuseppe had returned home that night, Leonardo bathed him. I don't like that at all. He's in his 20s. Ew. 
Ew, no. No, 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 yeah. no. Uh, Not just like, here, son, I got you a new bar of soap. Go take a shower, you stink. Yeah, go, go wash your balls. <laughs> I don't want to do that for you. Oh, God. Oh, God. Gross. Okay. Let's just say, from what I read, Giuseppe, he complied and let his mother bathe him, but their relationship Ugh. was very strained after that. But again, he's leaving for war, so he's out of there. I guess he's just like, fine, I'll give you what you want. I know I'm leaving. Exactly. There's no way I'd let my mom give me a bath now. Right? Like, never in a million years. So... After the bath, they shared some of the tea cakes. This is starting to sound kind of romantic. I know, but it's not. I mean, the tea cakes are made of blood, so yeah, it's not very romantic. <laughs> and the soap is made of human. As long as she wasn't, like, in the tub no, with him. No, it, it just said that she, like, <laughs> she bathed him. She wanted to make sure that the soap had washed every part of him. Oh, every part of him. So his balls. Right. <laughs> Again, this is part of this ritual that he needed to have internal and external coverage for this protection spell to work. And in addition, she decided that because the soaps and the cakes had turned out so well, that she shared them with her friends and her regular customers. Oh, to be a friend of Leo's. Oh, gosh. So... At least Armin did not do that. Right? Yeah, we're back to cannibalism. (laughs) Yeah. My cannibal! Did not do that. Now Armin's mine. He's your cannibal. <laughs> he doesn't even know it, but he's mine. <laughs> My cannibal. <laughs> well, maybe if you travel to Germany and you might catch him on your on your outing. Oh, excuse me, sir. Can you tell me how to get to? Yeah. <laughs> when... <laughs> or, or something about mine tile. Right. When... <laughs> so because Virginia had family and people cared about her, Virginia's sister-in-law grew extremely suspicious and began to ask questions around town to find out where did Virginia go. She learned through the town that the soap shop was the last place anyone had seen Virginia. And come to think of it, Hmm. and oddly enough, that's the last place people had seen Faustina and Francesca too. Weird. So Virginia's sister-in-law took her suspicions to the police. When the police investigated and questioned Leonardo, She denied any involvement with the women's disappearances. She only reiterated the rumors of their departures. So, number one, Faustina had found a husband. Number two, Francesca had got this new amazing job. And three, Virginia did too. And they left and were living these wonderful lives. So, the police investigated further in they looked at Leonardo's son Giuseppe Um, he became their suspect because he had been hmm. seen at the post office of the neighboring town which is where the letters were postmarked from oh no so she unwittingly set him up to look bad then oh yeah oh no And so when Leonardo learned that the police suspected Giuseppe, she straight up confessed. She detailed the murders. <laughs> she, she coped to it all, right? Because she did it. It was not Giuseppe. She was not going to let them. She has to protect her son. Exactly. So mm-hmm. she's she's trying to be a good mom. She's trying. In such a weird she's way. <laughs> So weird. I can say that for her. Wait, where are the other people who used 
who, who got the tea cakes. Oh, God. Were they informed? I don't, it didn't say. I'm guessing that, you know, like most, most cases, well, rumors circled around town and they were like, wait, what? What the fuck just happened? Yeah, actually, probably. And the soap. Right? Like, I'd feel unclean for the rest of my life. Yeah, because then they have to live with like, oh, yeah. So, and and initially the police were like, whatever. It was just, <laughs> it was just happy, right? It's not you. It's <laughs> this old woman's not going to commit a murder and dismember a body. Right. But when they went to the shop, they did in fact find the suitcases of the missing women inside the shop. Blues. Leonardo was tried for murder in 1946. She was found guilty and she was sentenced to 30 years in prison and three years in a criminal asylum. <gasps> There's the asylum. Oh my God. Wow. Fortune telling's real. Right? Is what I'm learning. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Leonardo died in 1970 of a cerebral hemorrhage in the Women's Criminal Asylum in Puzzwall. Did, did Giuseppe outlive her? I could not find oh, any, any oh. additional information on any of her children, unfortunately. Oh. I'm guessing maybe some of the books or some of the other things might have more information in there, but unfortunately I was not able to, to dig that deep. All right. I'm going to assume no, just so I can keep saying fortune telling works. Right? But, uh, yeah, who knows? <laughs> and then while you're on your German vacation, you can cruise over to Italy because a number of the artifacts from the case, including the pot in which the victims were boiled, are on display oh, at oh God. a criminology museum in Rome. I would definitely do that. If I'm flying all the way across the fucking ocean, I'm going to hit a bunch of things. and Say hi to Armin. Go to the Criminology Museum. <laughs> we'll see what else. We'll have more European cases. I have a bunch of suggestions from a friend who lives in England. So I'm awesome. looking at those too. So that, my friends, is the story of the soap maker of Correggio. Gross. I know. I don't know why, but the blood in the tea cakes bothers me more than bone. In a tea cake. I mean, she did bake it and ground it, so it's not just yeah I, mm. liquid, right? I don't know. The whole thing bothers me, honestly. <laughs> I was going to say, I guess it's fine to feel bothered by this, because it's bothersome. <laughs> I'm Winnie the Pooh yeah. all of a sudden. Oh, bother. Oh, bother. <laughs> <laughs> so, for the astrological overview... I could not find a time of birth for Leonardo. This is a, a very old historical type case. But I did find a needle chart for her that was already done. So I will assume, you know, A-S-S-U-E, yes. assume mm -hmm. that the information is mostly accurate, but there's really no way for me to tell. So again, I'm super new to the astrology part of this, so... Please jump in if you have any other insights for these. And then listeners, if you have any thoughts, we would love to know. Uh, so her son is in Aries. They are thought to be open and straightforward when they deal with people, but they're also very diplomatic and tactful, which was apparent because she really built really good relationships in the town of Correggio with people. People sought her out for guidance and, and suggestions. So, but she was, you know, fairly straight to the point 
kind of lady. She didn't have time to fuck around. Right? And Aries are also associated with valor and nobility, and they fight for what is just. And in her mind, the life of her child is just. Yeah, I can see that for sure. They also prefer to face the truth of something, deal with it, and then move on. And that kind of reflects in her first two murders. It didn't work. She knew that. She moved on to the next one. I think it also kind of reflects, too, in um, the fortune telling she received. Because she's Mm -hmm. like, oh, I'm going to die before all my children. No, I'm not. Fuck you. I'm going to try to fix this. The asylum one did end up working out. Like, she did try. And Aries are also known to become easily devoted to an idea, and they will fight for it. Mm -hmm. They will fight. And fight for who they love, which is very applicable in Leonardo's case. Mm -hmm. Leonardo's moon is in Libra, so she has a strong need for balance and harmony. And she didn't get that in her early life either. It was something she was striving for. And I think maybe that's why she was so enchanted with the Romani culture. Hmm. Because there's a lot to be said about these spells and these rituals finding balance and harmony. And again, when she was doing her research before the third murder to figure out like what what was wrong, it occurred to her, you know, that there needed to be balance in the spell. So I think that's kind of where that comes into play. And then according to this natal chart, it says that Leonardo is a Libra rising. And so they prefer tasks that are well thought out, prepared, and based on objectives. She took three times to make her experiment work. This is not helping (laughs) me get over my immediate hatred of Libras, but go on. Oh, no. They're also sociable and like to be like the socialite or kind of modulate their um, social interactions. A Libra and an Aries is kind of an interesting combination because an Aries usually can be very brash and like outspoken and and fiery. And the Libra more just wants people to like them and will adapt to whatever situation they're in. Mm -hmm. Right. So when you have that Aries innate charm and it's also accompanied by libra's polite considerate nature you get a person with really good people skills that are beloved by others and she was in the in the town of correggio so wow now that was really interesting i'm really happy we're continuing on this trend of talking about faking body fluids into things (laughs) it's when i read this case though What spoke to me so much is that it is that she didn't want to do these things. She was convinced in her mind that it was necessary to protect her child. And as a mom, I mean, I don't know. I don't know about that, but (laughs) I would do any, you know, I would I would like to think I, I would do anything to protect my child. I wouldn't say that I would like to commit murders to protect my child, but I mean, you have a strong sense of obligation to keep your children safe. But because of her upbringing and how tragic it was, there's definitely a question of of mental health and then the fact that she was impacted by the Romani culture and some of these mythical spells and rituals. It just kind of plays into... It became her normal, yeah. And she wasn't really 
I mean, because she was so neglected as a child, too, it's probably difficult for her to have established a moral compass of, like, no, we don't do that because that's bad, sort of. I mean, obviously, it's bad to kill people, but, like, all of the the normal societal expectations that kids receive before they turn 10, even, of, like, how to, you know, be a person in society kind of thing, mm-hmm. that, that was really lacking for her, and all she saw was abuse. And she was able to get herself out of it. So she knows she can take care of herself, too. Yeah. And yeah. she can fix this as well. And that's kind of the also part of the Aries nature where they, they feel like they need to. They need to, to fix that stuff. Right. I may know because I also have an Aries Hi, mom. Pearl. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so that is the soap maker of Correggio. She is also known as Italy's first serial killer. Ta-da! First? Really? Wow. Wow. I couldn't find anything that disputed that fact, and every time you Google Italy's first serial killer, her face pops up, so (laughs) I'm going with it. All right, cool. Awesome. Equality for the sexes. Right? Yeah, I'm kind of surprised. But also, we didn't really use serial killer for a long time in the lexicon, but still kind of surprised. Yeah. Maybe Italy's just chill and fine if you're not trying to make a sacrifice. They take a long time to eat their meals and... They never bring you the check unless you ask for it. Il Conto. Oh, yeah. (laughs) They uh, keep your luggage at the airport for five extra days before they deliver it to you. Do they take naps or is that Spain? I think that's Spain. Like in Italy, I don't know. Anyway, it seems like they could be well rested too. <laughs> oh, they seem like a well well rested people. And as a person that's always tired, I respect that mm-hmm. for sure. All right, well, that was super fun. Yeah, that was really fun. Yes, I enjoyed it. I thought you might because yeah. there's a little element <laughs> of witchy bullshit and a little bit of cannibalism. Like you're scratching all of my itches, and so um. <laughs> I've got my gears turning on how to cover up bone or blood flavor in tea cakes now, and I don't know why or how to get away from it. <laughs> we got Sarah stuck on food. I'm stuck on history. And um, I think that was all super great. I totally enjoyed it. I think our listeners will as well. I hope they do. And contact us if you have any opinion on whether you would prefer blood or bone in your tea cake. Yeah, we'd love to know. <laughs> Uh, Should we jump into astrology stuff? Yeah, let's wrap it up with that. All right. Astrology for episode five. This episode is airing starting May 17th. So from May 13th, 2021 until July 28th of this year, Jupiter is transiting Pisces. Jupiter is one of the planetary aspects that it affects how we kind of internalize experiences and gain knowledge and understand the world around us. It represents knowledge, wisdom, and spirituality. So since Pisces is a water sign, what this means for us is that when Jupiter is in Pisces, we have a stronger belief in kind of a larger collective energy um, and driving force, and we're more likely to attract good luck and feel more intuitive during this time. Even without luck, though, we might notice a zeal for enriching life's experiences and feeling more compassion and generosity. Yeah, Jupiter sounds like it, it meshes very well with Pisces and how Pisces is yeah. intuitive. And- yeah. So Jupiter, <laughs> Jupiter's powers can also amplify negative qualities too. Okay, great. So be on the lookout for red flags. Um, 
such as? Well, because it's Pisces, the emphasis towards compassion and generosity right now might also mean that we're more susceptible to being blinded to deception, both internally and externally. So you can deceive yourself even during this time. So just watch out for those red flags. Pisces influence on Jupiter means that the negative manifestations can also arise in like feelings of escapism and also faltering on maybe your personal or moral philosophies and standards and maybe a bit of restlessness. Depending on your sign, you may or may not be well equipped to handle this. But... I'm going to say, I'm, you're talking about red flags and I'm pretty sure I'm colorblind. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> but, uh... Pink? Pink flags? <laughs> Kind of, I can't see, you know, is that even a flag? Whatever. Yeah, so if you're if you're mindful during this time though, you can help navigate those waters. Pun intended, because Pisces is a water sign. <laughs> Just keep a, a, a lookout for perspective and maintenance of the big picture. But in other news, on May 21st, which is Friday for listeners listening on May 17th, the sun is entering Gemini. Yay. It's me, Meredith! <laughs> People born in this sun sign we've discussed before have some obvious characteristics that really resonate. Um, so knowledge and diversity really motivate Geminis, and they are definitely some of the more sociable, intellectual, and insatiably curious types of people. They can tend to uh, scatter their energies as a result of this curiosity. So organization and time management is key to ensure they don't get spread too thin. So during this sun's transit through Gemini for all of this month period until we go into the next sun sign, we are all going to be um, maybe feeling a little bit more communicative and versatile and might take on that sort of jack-of-all-trades attitude. So just be sure that during this time, you apply yourself to at least master one of those trades and try and keep your head on straight. <laughs> and I did not plan this, but the story I am bringing next week is about a Gemini. Amazing. Ooh, so Perfect. That's exciting. Look forward to it. I mean, you're not going to want to identify with him, Meredith. He's a piece of shit, but he is a Gemini. <laughs> I think everyone we're going to talk about is probably a piece of shit. Is there a nice murderer? I don't know. So as the sun transitions into Gemini and you are feeling more communicative, please reach out to us. We have enjoyed hearing so much from you guys and getting your feedback. So please keep it up. Make sure you rate us and leave a review and definitely tell your friends. We absolutely would love to hear from you. So please connect with us on Twitter at True Trine, on Instagram at True Crime Trine, on Facebook at TCT Podcast. You can email us directly at truecrimetrine at gmail.com. Feel free to include any photos of your cats if they would like to Please. join the TCT cat family. Yay. I'll make a page on the website just for all the cats. We would love to see that. And then also check out our website. Hannah did such a great job. It's www.truecrimetrine.com. As D.H. Lawrence said in the 1800s, it's totally fine to flirt with the Zodiac. Unless it's the Zodiac killer. Boom. <laughs> Music for our podcast was handcrafted by the talented and creative minds of Mike Warren and Pete Ortega. Our artwork was imagined and skillfully designed by the lovely Sarah Guest. As for production, well, they call me post-production. Show notes are available upon request. Just email truecrimetrine at gmail.com. Join us again next week for another tantalizing episode.